Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Soundprints for the week of October 9, 2016. One of the most popular speakers at every ACB convention is the talking book narrator. Aaron Jones who reads at the American Printing House for the Blind, will be the guest speaker on the October conference call sponsored by the Tri-State Library users. Regardless of where you live, you are welcome to join this call on Wednesday, October 19, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 Central and 5 Pacific. The dial-in number is 605-475-6006, and the code is 294444. Tri-State Library Users is a chapter of both the Kentucky Council of the Blind and the Library Users of America. Here's a money-saving tip shared at the Roundabout this past Friday. If you like soft soap and don't like the high prices, you can save a bundle with this recipe. Grate a bar of your favorite scented or unscented soap into a four-quart or larger kettle. Add two quarts or half a gallon of water and stir. Heat slowly on the stove, stirring often until the soap is melted. Pour into bottles of the size that you would like. This will make two 32-ounce bottles, four 16-ounce bottles, or eight 8-ounce bottles of soft soap. You can double this recipe, but you'll need to use a six to eight-quart kettle for stirring and heating the soap. Kentucky Business Enterprises, part of the Kentucky Office for the Blind, has a new director. It's Zach Koblenz, a retired businessman from Louisville. Zach is new to the blind community and to the Randolph Shepherd program, but he has an extensive background in business. Meet Zach Koblenz on page two. Margaret Johnson is a long-time listener to Soundprints. She's from Paragould, Arkansas. She is an active member of the Arkansas Council of the Blind and her local Lions Club. She serves as secretary of the American Council of Blind Lions, and she has attended numerous ACB national conventions. On the October 6th conference call meeting of ACB Lions, Margaret shared information about a speaker at her local club who had talked about picking cotton in years gone by in Arkansas. Margaret related some of her own experiences from her teenage years picking cotton with her parents in the late summer before she returned to school at the Arkansas School for the Blind. Her memories were so interesting that we thought you might enjoy visiting with Margaret on page 3. And on page 4 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2 Zach Koblenz is the new director of the Kentucky Business Enterprises program in the Kentucky Office for the Blind, and we're going to meet him today on Sound Prince. Uh, He's new to the job and new to the blindness community, and so we want to get to know him better. Welcome, Zach. Well, Carla, thank you very much. It's uh, just a great pleasure to 
to uh, to be here to, and um, looking forward to our little chat. All right. Well, tell us about you. Um, introduce yourself because uh, you know you're just brand new to the community, and um, we would we'd like to get to know you better. Well, Carla, I um, I'm a I'm a Kentuckian. I'm a native Kentuckian. I was uh, born and raised in in Louisville. I uh, graduated from University of Kentucky. Went on to a career in information technology and retired from uh, from my last employer was Yum Brands in Louisville, mm. uh, the parent company for Taco Bell and Pizza Hut and Kentucky Fried Chicken. More more about myself. So that's kind of what my background is, and um, my favorite hobby, if you will, is golf and. So during some of my retirement years, I played some golf and uh, piddled with a few part-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my wife uh, of close to 47 years is Sarah, mm-hmm. and I have uh, I have one son. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to to golf as kind of my main hobby, I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer around the house, and I'm uh, pretty. Um, Pretty involved in various things with my uh, with my church, Southeast Christian Church in in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and you live in Louisville. I do. I live in Louisville, and I commute over to Frankfurt every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in this job now for just right around five weeks. I think it was five weeks ago today. I started on September first, mm-hmm. and um, I'm really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find that you're out? I mean, be having going quite a bit around the state uh, with the with the vending program you know I haven't yet Carla I have met uh, quite a few of the uh, the blind vendors that are here in the Frankfurt area mm-hmm. and several in the Louisville area but as far as traveling out into the state I, I have not done that yet but it is on my agenda of things to do I've as the saying goes in in uh, uh, is been drinking from a fire hose uh, <laughs> to uh, to get my uh, running shoes on here yes. um, with this with this position mm-hmm. this position had been vacant for um, I believe a year and a half to two years so there's much to do and much to learn and having not had a history with either state government or the blind community it's been uh, it's been quite a learning experience i can bet it has <laughs> i think that is probably there's probably no truer statement around um i would think that coming from a corporate background into the state and how sometimes the wheels of government can grind slowly that that's got to be an experience just in an, in and of itself well, it is, but you know the corporate world um, doesn't grind as fast as everybody might think <laughs> it does. Um, you know there are. You know I went through quite a few decisions, um, major decisions in the uh, in the corporate world, mm-hmm. uh, where we were, for example, making large multi-million-dollar purchases and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, getting approval for the company to spend that kind of money requires a lot of work. Yeah, it's not going to happen in two days. No, you have to build a business case, and you have to have your justifications, and you have to, you know, go out to bid, and you have to deal with the vendors, and so on and so forth. So it's it's quite a process, and I think one of the things in my background that lends itself to um, to this position 
is that at Yum, um, quite a few of the franchisees um, in our community um, are in the in the Yum community, if you will, used Yum's computer systems and cash registers and things like that that you see in the restaurants. Mm-hmm. And um, so they had a, an advisory committee. They called it a users group. And they had their own concerns and their own needs. And they, you know, wanted the, the system to do certain things. And so, you know, anytime we made changes or anytime we were doing revisions or anytime we were buying equipment, we um, worked quite heavily with the franchise community and their committees as part of that process. So, you know, the part of the job that is very familiar to me with KBE is working directly with the the blind vendors and working with the vendor committee. And, you know, I understand that these are their businesses and that's how they earn their living. And it's just, it's a wonderful program because it just affords such a wonderful opportunity to a segment of our society that that need that opportunity mm-hmm. and um, so I'm I'm real comfortable interacting with and relating to the, um, the, the the blind vendors and and the vendor committee and of course they all present their own unique set of challenges and unique they have they all have their own unique set of circumstances as they well should mm-hmm. but uh, so you know I'm comfortable in that aspect of it and have managed this type of an organization before where we have equipment uh, out in the field. It's just that the equipment was, you know, cash registers and computers. Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to snack machines and coke machines. Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. And so I'm familiar with the maintenance aspect, the repair aspect, and, and many of those kind of things. So there's, there's a partial fit, if you will, and I think, as I learn more and more about state government and learn more and more about the actual vending business, um, it'll it'll all come together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it it sometimes can be frustrating to uh, when when you have uh, opportunities out there, and then because of some change somewhere else, you know, those opportunities disappear or whatever. And I guess that's kind of how it, is, how it also works, you know, out in, the, out in the private sector, but especially when you have a, such a transition, like in, 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 some of the, um, in some of the government offices where people now are working at home, so maybe there's not as many people in a building or, uh, and so on. So um, I'm sure that there's challenges in just um, being able to keep the program at a level where it has been in the past, and and it may have to be, it may have to look a little different than it did in the past, J- just as that's happening out in the in the private sector. Well, I think nothing stays the same, Carla. That's true. And and, and there's, that's not all bad, you know. I think as society changes as our economy changes as many things change mm-hmm. we have we have to change and adapt along with it and Correct. Um, you know this program is no different and uh, we'll we'll take a look at those things as they come down and 
and move forward with it. Now there's some there's some really positive things happening too. We have uh, one particular building um, here in Frankfurt that is relatively new. We are going to have we're in the process of of the the plans have been made for one of our vendors to have kind of a cafe and a sundry shop as part of that. Um, that facility, so it'll be, uh, you know, kind of a, a, it'll be a kind of a dine-in restaurant from that standpoint. Not, not really a restaurant, but you know what I'm saying. More, I do. Again, cafe is the word, and that's something that that um, that the the blind community uh, has not done before, and so it's a new opportunity, and perhaps an opportunity that will open other doors to those those types of operations in the future. So. As you said about changes, there there are some you know very positive changes um, in the wind, and we're in the process on that. It's not a done deal yet because you know it has to go through all the financial hoops. The, oh, we yeah. have an allocation of of some funds. It's the, the the plans have been made, and there have been some revisions, if you will, and so on and so forth. But and there'll probably uh, be some more. Yeah, and there'll probably be some more. <laughs> so, um, but it it's. Um, the, the intentions of everyone is to bring that to fruition, and it's kind of an exciting project. So this would be more like a um, a restaurant within the building, sort of the what maybe used to be a cafeteria. Yeah, it's not really a cafeteria, mm-hmm. but it, it it again the best word is just a cafe that would have I think soup and sandwiches mm-hmm. and uh, prepared food of that nature mm-hmm. and. Um, and then kind of co-located with it would be a snack shop, calling mm-hmm. it a sundry shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That could be a really good location. Yes. Um, and, yes. You know, and especially, so. you know, marketed well within the building and so right. on. That, that that could hold a lot of promise. It, um, it, it, it's one of those things that would certainly require, you know, quite a, you know, some, it, it's not a one, a one person show, but, um, it it could be a really good location. Um, also, I think there's been a big push, maybe more of a uh, a push to um, things that you know, not especially the old standard counter that we've had in the past, uh, where you know you go in and you, you here you're running the counter, but you're standing around and waiting a long time during the day right. for somebody to show up and buy a pack of gum. Right. So, right. And those do those do a lot of business, but. Um, you know, I, I think I think we all need to be ready to think about some, um, you know, some more efficient ways, you know, to deliver, you know, those kinds of services and so on. And absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think as I, you know, kind of get my feet on the ground and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and get the opportunity to uh, work with the uh, the vendor community to come up with some some uh, other type of creative mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of possibilities out there. Yeah, there really are. There really are. Uh, uh, one of the kind of humorous comments, I think, that um, I, I sometimes attend some of the some of the vendors' meetings just as a an observer. Mm-hmm. And I was at one one time in in Frankfurt. I guess it's probably three or four years ago. And you know, there's all this big push. Uh, you know, in your vending machine, you need to have all these healthy foods. Well. You know that's that's okay, that's all well and good. Everybody wants healthy, but 
I'm not sure you can get potato chips to be healthy, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so right. one of the vendors, <laughs> they were talking about all these healthy foods, and one of the vendors says, he just comments, and he says, well, it, it, we really can't call it healthy, but we can say it is healthier. And and I just, you know, it's just kind of an aside comment, and and I really thought it was it was just humorous the way it came out. Right. Because it, it was so true. It, it, it really fit, you know, and, and, and today it's got to be tough because, uh, to a certain extent, because the, the buying public is more conscious of things like, you know, how many bags of M&Ms am I going to buy today? They may not buy as many of those. And yet, uh, so, so, okay, I want other things in here that are going to be healthy, but are they really going to buy them? And so it puts right. the vendor in a funny right. position and sometimes a tight spot. But right. I bet you had the same kinds of things happening at Yum, uh, because how healthy can fried chicken be, you know? <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. And, yeah. I, you know, I think all of the um, food-serving establishments are uh, under, you know, some level of pressure. To oh, I know. Um, have healthier foods, and at a minimum, I mean, you can walk into uh, McDonald's today, and you know, or or Panera Bread, and mm-hmm. most restaurants now, and they've got the nutritional information in terms of the number of calories and so forth. It's right. all posted there. Right. So at least when you order a Big Mac, you know what you're getting. <laughs> you know, you know how much stuff you're not supposed to have that you're going to consume. That's right. So, well, I'm going to tell you though. Those McDonald's fries with all that healthy stuff, they're just not as good as they used to be, you know. <laughs> Were you uh, always at Yum when, you know, after it became um, Yum? Or or did you work for one of the groups, one of the, you know, chains before it became Yum? No, I started there um, about a year after it was spun off from Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Pepsi ran each of the three brands as separate businesses. True. Yes. And then when they spun it off, it became one business. And I, I joined there about a year after it was spun off. Mm-hmm. Then when I joined, it was actually called Tricon. That's right. I'd forgotten about it that. It was Tricon until they purchased uh, Long John Silver's. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And then they changed it to Yum. And Yum was the stock symbol from the day that that it was spun off mm-hmm. yum was the stock symbol and so once they once they became more more than three companies they changed the name to yum brands and then they eventually um divested themselves of long john silvers and it went back into uh was purchased by another group but mm-hmm. um that's kind of the history behind that mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Now, do they? So now there's they're just the three companies now. Correct. Right? Yeah, yeah. Correct. Well, um, it's that's it's really fascinating having that background and coming into vending. I mean, I know that people, some people out there, are probably saying, "Oh, well, he doesn't know, he doesn't know the Randolph Shepard rules and things." But you know, you can. You can read They're rules. Sitting right in front of me. Yes, you, you can. You can study those, and you can still find where there's all these areas that's subject to interpretation and all of that stuff. But a business background in this program, I think, is just really right. essential to good, solid future. And and I, 
And I think vending is a wonderful opportunity for blind people and remains so. Always, you know, it has been for many, many, many years. And um, if we just can move along with the times and uh, so on, I, I think it's got great promise. Well, I do too. And, you know, I have recollections. I'm older than I care to talk about. But <laughs> I definitely have uh, recollections of walking into the what's now the Gene Snyder Building in Louisville mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a young as a young boy, and um, used to have a snack stand in the kind of the alcove as you walked into the building. Yes, you walked up the steps and you went through a little alcove before you entered the main lobby mm-hmm. of the building. Mm-hmm. And there used to be a blind vendor years and years. Of course, I'm talking, you know, back in the probably the you know the mm-hmm. 60s. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I fondly remember, you know, going in there and buying a, a Milky Way or something and <laughs> and um, uh, just kind of being marveled at the fact that a person without vision could mm-hmm. could do that and change money and, and, and so forth. So, you know, I, I just think this is a wonderful program. I have nothing but the highest degree of respect and admiration for... The, the vendors and the people that are earning a living at this, and um, I, I, just, I feel honored to be a part of it. Well, we are pleased you're there and look forward to meeting you in person and uh, hope that you'll be at the Statewide Rehab Council meeting so we can do that. And, um, you know, welcome welcome to the blind community. We, well, we want to get to know you better. Thank you. Thank you, and I want to get to know everyone better myself. Page three. Welcome, Margaret, and we are looking forward to you telling us about experiences that some of us have just never had. And to tell us about her experiences, uh, picking cotton with her dad, and just kind of, I think a lot of us maybe aren't familiar with even what uh, cotton growing in the fields looks like. Well, thank you. I sure do enjoy sound prints and uh I prefer go to uh, the Kentucky uh, Council of Blind website and hear it when I want to hear it mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. sometimes I don't get right in there after church like I want to or something sure. comes up. Right. And, uh, and you've been to... listening for a long time. Oh, a long time. Way back uh, two computers ago or something, <laughs> I don't know, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. And... <clears throat> I thought it was interesting because I don't think people really get to uh, uh, a lot of blind people, at least when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. A lot of blind people went home for the summer, and they dreaded going home because the parents just put them in a room and said, uh, you know, just, you know, read talking books. There was nothing wrong with talking books, but, you know, they didn't try to get them into the community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that was the one thing. Uh, my parents were both both visually impaired. They had some vision. My mother had more vision than my daddy did. Mm-hmm. But and I was born with cataracts, and I'd had some surgeries and all. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, all through the summer, you know, I would. Uh, my daddy had a big deal where he went around to watch over older people because back then, if you couldn't live alone. He went to the county home, and mm-hmm. he tried to keep them out of the county home as long as he could, mm-hmm. and he'd take me with him. And so that's another topic. But but I thought about this the other day when a, a woman came to our Lions Club. Her name was uh, Nan Snyder, mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. And she told about what it was like to pick cotton out uh, in northeast Arkansas and southeast Missouri and all along the eastern part of Arkansas. We grow a lot of cotton. And uh, until 1965, when the cotton picking machines came in, it was picked by hand. And you went to school starting about the second or third week in July, and you went to school for till Labor Day. Then you were out for six weeks to help your parents pick cotton. Oh, okay. And in in June, they chopped cotton, chopped the weeds and all out of the cotton. Mm-hmm. But my daddy thought that neither one of us could see well enough to chop the cotton, you know, chop the weeds out, and he was afraid we might chop out the cotton plants. Yes. That's when the cotton bowls. Uh, make the bloom in June, and they call it a, a bowl square. Okay. And over the summer, hot, dry weather and everything, uh, the bowls uh, form up, and then they come open, and hopefully around here they would come open about the third week in August so we could pick what we called early cotton. And my hometown of Rector, Arkansas, had a Labor Day picnic where they, um, uh, a citywide picnic, everybody participated. But the main thing was uh, to upkeep the city cemetery, which is now over 72 acres mm-hmm. in this little town. Mm-hmm. Now, Margaret, how yeah. how tall was a cotton plant, and how and how yeah. big was the bowl of cotton? Uh, to, they said the cotton used to be. Uh, pretty tall, but now it's a little bit shorter, but I would say that when I was a teenager, the cotton was about somewhere about waist high on me, Mm -hmm. and I'm about 5'3". Okay. But a lot of grown people, when they tried to pick all up and down the cotton stalks, uh, you know, it's back-breaking. Okay. (laughs) And and so uh, my daddy decided that... uh, Rather than wear his clothes out and rather than have a back-breaking deal, he put on rubber knee pads, Mm -hmm. and he could be on his knees, and he could see the uh, cotton stalks and pick them clean. Now, when the cotton bowl opens, uh, you reach between the uh, slits where the bowl opens, you know, like a flower, and you pluck the cotton out of the the bowl. Right. And... You start in every morning about, uh, try to be in the field by 7 o'clock. That means you're going to have to get up about 5 and you're going to have breakfast and you're going to get your lunch together and you're going to catch, so there's going to be a a pickup truck with a stock rack on it going through town picking up people with their pick sacks that are big old burlap sacks. The the grown men drug uh, a 9 foot sack. The women had a the grown women had a seven and a half foot sack that you know was over your shoulder and all, and then the little kids had uh, sacks where they put a uh, you know soda strap on like a, a sack that uh, that uh, chicken feed came in or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, kind of. And then when you got older, you know you'd have a bigger sack. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, my daddy said, "Now we're gonna go pick cotton." cotton and said, if you 
He said, in the morning, you know, the cotton, the dew will be on it, and it'll weigh more, and so the idea is to pick as much as you can, sure enough, in the morning. Mm-hmm. And he said... Because you got paid by the pound? You got paid by the pound, and it was like $3 a hundred, and that's a that's about all my daddy and I could pick together. A hundred pounds? A hundred pounds, and mm-hmm. we worked hard at that. Well, it was, new, it was early cotton, so it wasn't quite as, you know... Uh, it was a little bit sparse than it was, you know, maybe a week or two later. <laughs> and if you read the book, uh, John Grisham's Painted House, uh, it told in there how you start at the far end of the field and in a day or two uh, you get up to the ha- where you can see the house, you know you're about ready to go pick for some other farmer. Oh. You pick toward the house. I'd forgotten about that. So... Anyway, this lady told about how she, she, I had her to come to my low vision support group because at the Lions Club meeting, I didn't realize all these visual aids she had. Mm-hmm. And she came to our low vision support group meeting, and the first thing she talked about was getting up in the morning and hating crawled out of that feather bed that people had back then, uh, and how that, uh, you know, it was kind of cool in the morning, and she said, but when the rooster crowed, you knew it was time to get moving. And so she she said, now, especially the women in, in this area especially, they were worried about not getting that weathered look. So they wore bonnets uh, that were, they had a, a big um, thing that covered their, you know, came out from their face. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the bonnet... Uh, had uh, sewed in, uh, well, they had sections sewn in, and people would take cracker boxes and cut cut them in strips and put the cardboard into these places in, in the part that came out over the face so it would shade your face. Mm-hmm. And then they put on bandanas around their neck because they didn't want their neck to look brown, and they wore long sleeve shirts with high neck to them, and blue jeans, and they had, uh, the men wore brogan shoes, which is really high-top uh, leather shoes, and the women had, they could find them. There they, they was brogans for women, too, uh, and the ones I thought were pretty fancy. And the lady, when she passed around the bonnet, the bonnet had lace on it. I said, now, Nan, I don't ever remember seeing a bonnet in the cotton patch with lace on it. She said, well, uh, somebody gave that to my mother, and that was the only one I could find. <laughs> and and then she said that, um, uh, oh, you had to have, um, she's talking about the, uh, the, band, the bandana and how you uh, wipe your, your face and your nose and everything on the corner <laughs> and work toward the middle of the big bandana. She said, and then you had to have a little... Uh, you had to have a little pad, a little bit bigger than the area of a billfold size picture. Mm-hmm. And when you got your sack full and and took it up to the uh, to the uh, wagon where they dumped the cotton in there, um, the owner of the farm weighed your cotton and she passed around some cotton scales and showed mm-hmm. us what that would be like. And then she passed around uh, in, in one of those little pad things, 
and you wrote down the weight, and they wrote, and the farmer wrote down the weight uh, by your name. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people could pick 200 pounds a day. Mm-hmm. And I know but you got paid, you got paid, you all got paid $3 for picking the 100 pounds. That's right. In a day. In a day. Uh-huh. Uh, or whatever you could, you know, whatever you could get. We we only did that. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> my daddy was visually impaired, like I said, and so he... Um, he had those knee pads. Well, he, you know, those. We thought that back then we thought those pick sacks were pretty expensive, and uh, so he he had his nine foot sack, and I picked in a bushel bucket, and we poured it in his sack mm-hmm. because I wasn't going to be able to. Well, the most I ever picked in a row was three days, and oh, I was just so I thought I couldn't make it another day in a cotton patch all day. <laughs> I mean, that sun comes out heavy about 11 o'clock, and then uh, you're off at, at 12 to 1 for lunch, mm-hmm. and then you're uh, uh, back on, you know, again till about 5 or 5.30. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we would go by the grocery Sometimes we'd, you know, go to the grocery store, and a lot of people got fried bologna, or they would, uh, you know, have bologna, pressed ham, or pick a loaf. And have um, uh, maybe some kind of chips and a soda pop. And my daddy had a one of these black uh, lunch boxes that they used to have where the thermos bottle is up in the in the uh, lid, kind of in mm-hmm. a, a wire frame, mm-hmm. and then your sandwiches and stuff fit in the bottom. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. <laughs> I saw all this stuff when I was cleaning out my mom and dad's house, and I thought, oh, it's just memories. Your whole life goes before your eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. Look at this stuff. And uh, so at lunchtime, when she said that where she was, they sat on the fence rows and ate their lunch. Uh, we went and sat on the farmer's front porch oh. and ate our lunch. <laughs> and uh, now my mama, she lived down in southeast Arkansas when she was growing up and she couldn't go to the field and her stepdaddy made her stand up in a chair and cook for the field hands mm-hmm. and uh, he would tell tell her now give them a, a decent portion but no seconds because if they eat a lot they'll get sleepy and they won't work as hard in the afternoon <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it was just great fun to to do that and of course anywhere my daddy went I don't care where it was uh, I wanted to be there, mm-hmm. and so we we had a great time doing that. Mm-hmm. And this woman that did the program at Lions Club, she said, "I thought the way I looked in the cotton patch, if I could catch a husband in the cotton patch, I really <laughs> did something." Mm-hmm. But that's how that's pretty much how it was. Now, and how old were you when you did that? Well, I was, I guess I was about. About 14, 15, 16 years old, along in there, mm-hmm. uh, when I did that. And uh, oh, I just had such a good time. And I knew all the people that were out there picking. At the end of the day, when they were getting ready to quit, uh, if you had, you know, if you weren't at the end of your row, people would come by and finish your row out. They always made sure that it was a clean. Uh, finish for the day they didn't leave a, a part of a row or anything mm-hmm. they made sure that all the rows that were pe- people were working on uh were were complete uh-huh. you know completely clean yeah and 
So then you'd have a new row to begin on the next that, day. That's right. You'd have a new row the next day, mm-hmm. and uh, then you'd get paid at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what if you worked for different farmers in the week? Like, you know, if you worked for one a couple of days and then you worked for another one well, a couple of days, how'd they handle get that? Well, paid uh, at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Pretty much we'd work uh, out to the end of the uh, week at one place. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was that was another thing. They, uh, uh, I mean, what, what I thought was kind of sad is I had girlfriends and all that. A few of them, their, their daddy told them, if you don't get a hundred pounds a day, then you're going to be punished. That you had, mm-hmm. tell them you have to get at least two hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's pretty hard on kids to do, but kids knew how to work back then, and, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of hard work that went on. And of course, when you lived on the farm, you uh, well, we could ride the truck back to town, but they had to go and you know feed their stock and and do all the other work and and fix supper and all that, and uh, they were. <laughs> That After they'd there. been in the field all day. That's right. And mm-hmm. you didn't stay up till midnight and watch TV. No. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure you did not. <laughs> you were glad to hit the bed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I don't, I think that's about all I could, unless you've got a question, uh, that's all I can tell you about how it went. But, uh, well, now, did, she, um, did, did little kids also go, I mean, you said you were about 14, so you were a teenager, but yeah. did younger kids also? Yes, they were the pick, ones that had mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the little sacks. Called toe sacks or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the little feed sacks and different things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the little babies, mm-hmm. they put them on the cotton sack and drug them up and down the road if they oh. were empty. Goodness. <laughs> and, you know, we'd be worried about... I mean, I didn't know back then that sometimes you did see a snake in the cotton patch. Or if I'd have thought about that, I'd have never gone out there. I guess. And I think about my daddy right down on the ground right there. Yeah. And and he didn't see very well. And what if he'd have run into a copperhead snake or something like that? Mm-hmm. But we didn't think about being scared about stuff back then. But I think about it now, and I just think, well... <laughs> The Lord was watching over us because we didn't know well, what I'd be afraid of. And it was just a different world. I mean, you know, everybody, you know, riding on the truck out into the field. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine now. trying to do that today? It, well, you're against the law to ride in the back of a pickup truck. Today. Right, right. But, but back then, you know, uh, and there wasn't, I remember my daddy tell stories. I had this really nice girlfriend and she thought that she was having to do more work than her brother had to do at home and she got the bright idea when she was about 10 years old that she would just claim severe headaches and everything so that they would send her to the blind school and she didn't have to pick cotton (laughs) and she really she was serious about it and when she got to be a teenager she told my daddy out in the cotton patch one day she said that then my boyfriend's fixing to run off and get married. And my daddy tried to talk her out of it and everything, but he couldn't talk her out of it now out there, you know, picking cotton. Mm-hmm. But you could learn all kinds of things about people and stuff going on while you was out there picking cotton. Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. talked about it and worked really hard. That was a... Uh, now, you said that... that um that you all picked the early cotton, but the kids were off from school for six weeks. So did that 
you know, was that the entire picking season was the six weeks that they were off? Oh, no, a lot of times it would take back then to, well, time you counted the late cotton, and there was a time when you had to pull bowls and stuff, and you could be in the field as late as the middle of November. Oh, okay. That's something. Now, Labor Day, I had to go to the blind school, mm-hmm. and Labor Day, they got out of school and picked until about the middle or last part of October, mm-hmm. and then school started back and went to mm-hmm. the end of May. So so you picked with, with your dad uh, while some of the the other kids were still in school. Uh, yeah, maybe so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot of times it was just grown people when I was out there because okay. of that. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> and so I... Um, and main thing, he just wanted to make sure that I didn't do anything weird and cause us to not get invited back to pick, you know. <laughs> and I wouldn't have done it, but now there's people that would do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so oh, another thing I, that they wore that I forgot to tell you, especially the women would wear these gloves with the ends of the fingers cut out mm-hmm. so that you didn't mess up your hands or they didn't get real dark looking, you know, weathered mm-hmm. look and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's how we had all these people, women in the South with real fair skin, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and yet they had worked out in the hot boiling sun. And, and now they that. go to the tanning bed. Oh, I know. And, and <laughs> like she said, back then you very seldom heard of anybody having skin cancer. Mm-hmm. Now people don't use the protection that they should, and, they, and you have a lot of instances of all kinds of skin cancer. But it must have been really hot with oh, all those clothes on and stuff. And it, you know, hot in Arkansas. I mean, it's not like it's, you know, I mean, it's really hot in the summertime. Late summer, too. Uh, yes, I mean, it was, it was really hot. I man. mean, that two and, you know, one, two and three o'clock sun was really yeah, with with long sleeve shirts on and uh-huh. and yeah. jeans and stuff. I mean, my goodness. Gloves and yeah. everything. Yeah, that, that's that's what that's what we did, and that's how I, you know. Uh, but it worked out really great, and like I mm-hmm. said, you just had the most interesting conversations. And of course, I love being out there with the grown people and hearing what the grown people talk about. <laughs> yeah. and, you're busy listening to all the gossip. That's what you're well, I know. Of course, you had to just keep. Working, you know. Yep. It was, uh, it, it was really yeah. interesting. Yeah. And of course, there was uh, a lot of times uh, trains come up and down through here. Like we have a lot of trains uh, coming through here, and one of the train um, companies is called the Cotton Belt Railroad mm-hmm. through here. And we have uh, Southern Pacific, and mm-hmm. I mean, or maybe it's Missouri Pacific. And I'm sure the train is how it was taken to the markets uh probably now that's another thing i wanted to talk about at the end of the day you could tell people were getting ready to come home from the fields because the gins were in the edge of town we had one that was kind of up on the close to the center of town and the lint and everything from the cotton hulls which was you know the bowls really mm-hmm. uh <clears throat> just flew everywhere, and this is before we worried about environmental stuff too much. But they finally built a, a tin wall that went around about three sides to try to contain all this so it wouldn't blow on people's houses and front porches and all that. 
and and my daddy in the summertime when I first got out of school through month uh, June while everybody was chopping cotton, he was going over to the gin and picking up. And he had a he had a great big uh, two wheel cart that he pulled, uh, and because he couldn't drive anything, but he had somebody to make him a deal where he could gather up these cotton hulls and tubs and everything and fill up this cart and go around and sell it to put on people's. Uh, by that time, you know, the hulls were about to be rotten and put this on people's flower beds and their oh, gardens. for fertilizer. Made wonderful, wonderful fertilizer. Huh. And, but you would, at the end of the day, as I was trying to say, at the end of the day, uh, you would hear the cotton gins crank up and it was kind of a scary sound it it sounds like some huge animal hyperventilating or something oh my. i just i don't know if that's there would be other people might say no it didn't sound like that but to me that's what it sounded like and it was kind of a scary thing but you knew i knew that my daddy would be coming home um, this is like when i was four years old when mm-hmm. when i was too little to go to the field but my daddy would go, and when he'd come in, and then you'd hear those cotton gins crank up and everything. So hmm. it's uh, it's a different life. Uh, y'all don't grow cotton in Kentucky, do you? No, no. Well, I think they grow some down, you know, in the um, southern in part. the southern part, or they they used to. I don't know if they still do or not. Maybe they do. Um, you know, down in the western part of the state. Um, but it's, I don't think that it's warm enough, long enough to, to do that yeah. because our frost date, um, here in, in Louisville is about the 10th of October. So oh, right. now that we haven't had any frost the, this year, but that, but that is the average yeah. frost date would be the, well, you know, that, and, and that may be a little early, director, but the person that got the first open uh, bloom, cotton bloom, which they call a, a cotton square. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually in June, they would go to the little weekly paper office and get their picture made. Oh, you know, they could win a prize because oh my goodness, Phil had the first open yeah. uh, cotton bloom. Yeah, and <clears throat> so that was a big deal. Uh, so Margaret, when did they plant the cotton in the spring? How long did it take for that bloom to happen? You know, I was in the blind school, but that... Yeah, so you weren't there when the planting... When they planted, I'm sure it was sometime last of April or 1st of May, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't be sure about that because I'm a little bit green on that, but but Mm -hmm. I do know that it was was something like that, Mm -hmm. and... uh, It was already growing pretty good by the time you got home in the summer. By the time I got home, in about two, in about two weeks from the time I got home, the end of May... Uh, somebody would be in the paper showing the first uh, cotton bloom, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was a big deal. Now, uh, this town I lived in at that time, counting all the rural routes, it was like 3,000 people. Okay. And people had little farms, about 40 to 80 acres. Okay. Most of the place up mm-hmm. in here. Now, we've got places where people own big plantations. But in 1965, of course, I got school back then, well, started out when I first started the blind school, it would start the week that we'd go to school the Sunday after Labor Day. Okay. And then it got to be, you know, uh, 
but my last year in school when I went to the twelfth uh, grade, we had to go back on Labor Day, and I thought that was the most horrible thing that ever was because I had to get up that morning and they were getting all ready for the parade. And you had to go to school. And I had to go back to the blind school. <laughs> I was not happy about that. And uh, the cotton picker, cotton picker machines were brand new, and I remember the music implement company and rector drove one of those machines through the parade so everybody could see mm-hmm. that was the year that they started um well they're getting ready i guess they they might i don't know if they picked that year or that was the first year for the pictures but mm-hmm. anyway okay. the the cotton uh machine and i forgot six or six or eight rows mm-hmm. that a machine can pick at one time right so that just replaced all of that. All this way, all this uh, help that you right. had to have. Right. And right. back then, you know, that's the reason when I was growing up, people had six, eight, and ten, twelve kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know why I'd do if I had six or eight or ten, twelve kids. <laughs> You'd wish for the cotton to come back. Well, I said we <laughs> we don't need this now because we don't have to have field hands like right. we had to have. Right. You know. Right. Back then. Yeah. But but that's how it worked, and I was so happy when we'd have the Labor Day picnic, and we had a big parade and this all-day picnic, and they always gave away a car, and you could eat a plate lunch in in what we called the, the park kitchen for $2, and I thought, if I ever get the money, I'm going to go eat a plate lunch in the kitchen. <laughs> Because wow. we were happy to get a hamburger or a barbecue or something. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we just had our stuff at home. And it was kind of the end of the summer. It was kind of a happy and a sad time mm-hmm. thinking about going back to school, uh, you know, right. all that. So, uh, But that last year had to go back right on Labor Day. Wow. Well, Margaret, we we really, I have really enjoyed this, and I think that listeners will too, because it's certainly very different experiences from what a lot of people um, have had, and you know, it just is. So it's um it you know it's it's a regional kind of experience. Um, a lot of kids have a lot of different kinds of summer experiences, and um, you know, picking cotton is certainly. Um, different than what many people have done. So really appreciate it. I, I think this has been fascinating, and I, I thank you for your time and being with us on Soundprints. Well, I think the important thing is to realize that back then there was so much work that needed to be done. You know, even though my parents were visually impaired and I was visually impaired and all this stuff. But you all found a way to do they it. They were happy to have us to do whatever we could right. do because they needed everybody they could Well, thank you much, and and keep listening to Soundprints. Well, I certainly will. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free-of-charge Louis database. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. Visit soon. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org.
Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's Minibook Braille Binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the Minibook slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. Page 4, The Sound Prince Calendar. The Bill Roby Track and Field Games will take place on October 12 at the Kentucky School for the Blind. These games are for visually impaired children ages 13 and under. Contact the school at 502-897-1583 for information. On October 13, the National White Cane Day celebration will take place from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. at 4th Street Live in downtown Louisville. Also on October 13, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind invites you to participate in White Cane Safety Day in the Covington area. For more information, call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. On October 14 will be another GLCB roundabout, and this time it will include bingo after dinner. Call 502-895-4598 to register. October 16 is the next meeting of the KSB Alumni Association Board of Directors at 8 p.m. by conference call at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On October 17, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its next board meeting also at 8 p.m. on the same conference line. On October 19, the Charles W. McDowell Rehabilitation Center will host its fourth annual open house, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., product demonstrations, tours, information sharing, refreshments, and much more. At the Charles McDowell Center, 8412 Westport Road in Louisville. October 19 is the next Tri-State Library Users Conference Call. This month's presenter will be a talking book narrator. The phone number is 605-475-6006. The code is 294444, and the time is 8 p.m. Eastern Time. October 21 and 22 is the ACB Fall Board Meeting in Reno, Nevada. For more information, contact the ACB Virginia office at 202-467-5081 or 800-424-8666. October 21 is a GLCB Roundabout. And October 22 is the Halloween mask-making workshop at the American Printing House for the Blind Museum. Make scary or friendly masks from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. The Printing House is at 1839 Frankfurt Avenue, and the number to call to sign up is 502-899-2213. On October 22, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, Savvy, will have its White Cane Day celebration from 11 a.m., to 1 p.m. Central Time at the Davies County Library, 2020 Frederica Street in Owensboro. Call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 for more details. On October 24, Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will have their next membership call at 7 p.m. by telephone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. 
On October 26th, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a peer support group meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at their office in Lexington. Call Bluegrass Council at 859-259-1834. October 28th is the statewide Rehabilitation Council meeting from 9.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. at the Charles McDowell Center, 8412 Westport Road in Louisville. Contact Jennifer Wright at 502-564-4754. On October 28 will be the last GLCB roundabout of the month from 3.30 to 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, 502-895-4598 to sign up. November 4 and 5 is the 2016 Family Conference sponsored by the Kentucky School for the Blind and the Visually Impaired Preschool Services. It will be held on the campus of KSB in Louisville and you can sign up by calling 502-897-1583 extension 0204. This is for children and families throughout Kentucky. On November 11 and 12 is the Kentucky Council of the Blind 43rd State Conference and Convention. Workshops, programs, exhibits, food, and friends. Room reservations can be made by calling the Ramada Inn North at 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville, 502-897-5101. Room rates are $80 per night. Registration materials will be mailed soon. And on December 3 is the GLCB Christmas Party. And on December 4 is the ACB Radio Holiday Auction. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.